Good afternoon. You're on the panel. RNZ National, Guy Williams and Sally Winley with me today. Let's go to this first, actually. New Zealand's GDP grows 2% in the third quarter. Stats NZ figures showed gross domestic product grew a seasonally adjusted 2% in the three months ended September after revising, uh, rising rather, a revised 1.9% in the June quarter and it took the annual growth rate to 6.4%. Meanwhile, the property market drop has been deeper than anticipated and there's more to come. That from a CoreLogic report, a bigger drop in sales and volumes are likely to persist into next year with the introduction of tighter lending regulations, loan-to-value ratio rules and higher mortgage rates all having a big effect. With us today is Tony Alexander, an independent economist. Tony, Cura, good to have you on. Thanks very much, Wallace. Good to be back here again. This was double what had been expected by forecasters. What about you, Tony? Did you uh, anticipate this? Quite extraordinary in a sense. No, no one anticipated this sort of a result, but this has basically been par for the course at least during the pan, uh, period of the pandemic. And then, of course, 2019 was weird because of deflation worries. And then the period since the global financial crisis was also weird because right. things like printing money didn't generate inflation. So this is the world we live in now where data, quite frankly, often surprise us. <laughs> um, and, and, and any st- st- particular standouts that uh, contributed, such as due to the borders opening? Yes, well, that's right. We were all just guessing at uh, how quickly people would come back into the country with the borders opening up. And we've seen the evidence, for instance, in the monthly migration travel numbers that lots of people are coming to New Zealand, just as lots of us Kiwis uh, are going overseas. And, and the migration numbers are, well, that's another surprise. They're turning around relatively quickly uh, as well. So, yeah, definitely a contributor there. But also it does pay to note that uh, consumer spending did fall, um, again, not as much as the previous quarter, but Already, you know, we're all showing a lot of restraint in, in what we're doing with our spending, and there's a lot more of that to come for 2023. Uh, okay, let's bring our panellists in on this. Do you want to have a... a... Is, is, that, is that not a good thing? Is it not a good thing that consumer spending is is falling just in terms of it's nice that Kiwis are being less materialistic? Is it not a good thing that house prices are falling, that maybe young people can afford homes, you know? Oh, it's, it's certainly nice to think that maybe we're all thinking more about the environment and going to spend less, but no, no, no. I, I have I have complete confidence that once, once people sort of focus on keeping their jobs and wages going to go up, we're going to be out there buying as much crap as humanly possible I'm again, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, and when, when it comes to house prices, of course, it, it, it depends whether you've already bought or whether you're waiting to buy and hoping to pick the bottom of the, of the market. But I guess I find it interesting the way in which we talk about the housing market mm. oh it's in a terrible state now because house prices are falling whereas previously we were saying people were saying oh it's in a terrible state because <laughs> house prices were rising strongly so it doesn't matter what's happening so the house prices now are they like what they were prior to covid or no dropping what's what's happening there yeah, well, 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 they're definitely dropping 1.4% in the month of November, 13.7% from a year earlier. We're still 22% higher than in March of 2020 when we went into the first lockdown. So oh, wow. I, mm. yeah, I, I try to get people to focus on these longer-term comparisons and not get overly hooked up on what's happening 12 months versus six months and, and these sort of things. Uh, housing is still relatively expensive in New Zealand. Construction costs 
continue to rise, for instance, um, out there. So, you know, it's, it's hard to say that affordability is, is, is great simply because the house prices have fallen you know, in the past year. Looking into your economic glass ball, say this time in two years, what do you think would have happened to the price of houses? Oh, I think they will be rising again, not at a fast pace, um, because it's got, when interest rates start falling, it's going to be a relatively slow decline. There's a different long-term inflation outlook related to China and all these sorts of things now than in the past. But my broad feeling this week is that the housing market probably bottoms out towards the middle of next year, not all oh, regions yeah. at the same same time, probably towards the middle of next year. But I don't think people should think in terms of, and we're returning to what happened in you know past few years of soaring prices. No. That's uh, yeah, that's very interesting. And also, Tony, the labour market is pretty buoyant, so that might perhaps guard against the potential for uh, the negative equity situation. Well, I think it comes uh, comes into play strongly with regard to a very limited mortgagee sales out there, because people with the interest rates going up from two and a half to six and a half are going to be able to pick up some part time work, a few extra hours where they are, part time job at the weekend, etc. It says to me that especially first home buyers, they're still in the market, but they're not buying as they might otherwise do at the oh. moment because. They, they, they can't meet the bank serviceability criteria. They might even have a 20% deposit, for instance, with help from parents or, or whatever. But with the banks using test interest rates of about 8.6%, you might be paying 65 but you have to prove you could service you know, 86 A lot of people simply don't qualify. That says to me something quite important, that when the fixed rates start going down, these buyers are going to step forward. And i just got a feeling there's, there's some of that coming along in the second half of next year. That, that's just the current theory. Now, there's been a bit of talk on negative equity. Are you actually seeing that in houses? And is it a concern? Uh, well... Uh... Overall, from a macro point of view, stability in the economy, etc., not really a great concern because definitely while for some people their property is now worth less than they paid for it, the banks aren't going to be forcing them to go up and go and sell up um, because the banks just simply want to make sure you can continue to service the mortgage. Can you meet the interest payments? And with the strong jobs market, with pretty good wages growth as well, 8.5% growth average hourly earnings in the past year, you know, people's ability to actually meet the higher interest rates is a bit better than what one might think at first glance. So mortgage sales will rise, but it's not going to be a repeat of the post-GFC period when, when they did get a wee bit large for a while. Tony, is it frustrating being an, an economist? Like house pricing stories are every day in the media, politicians bandy round rubbish all the time. <laughs> Do you look at us all going like, we look like a bunch of headless chickens talking about the economy? No, no, no. This is a great job, you see, because every single day I get new information and then when somebody like yourself, Guy, comes to me and say, oh, that previous forecast, that was a load of rubbish, you got that wrong, wrong. <laughs> I can say to you, well, but that's because, and I worked this out three decades ago, uh, I'll give you three dot points. Ah, this happened, that happened, and that happened. And you'll go, oh, I see. And then you'll say, what do you think now? And that's <laughs> what always happens. No matter how much people rubbish us economists, they always end up going, hmm, what do you think now? So there we go. It's sort of, it's job security. <laughs> <laughs> as people see you as, uh, yeah, as some sort of a seer into the future, don't they? Um, in terms of, in terms of that, look, if mortgage rates go 
into the 7% plus territory. We've talked about this before, haven't we, Tony? That's kind of the the, the thinking. You're still pretty confident that that'll happen? Uh, let me see. Now, if we go to, say, 7, 7.5, that would definitely make me have a more negative view on the housing market and the things I've just been saying now. However, I'm 90% confident that where the fixed rates are at the moment, sort of 6.5 to 7% for you know five-year fixed rates, I'm 90% confident this is the peak. And the reason I say that is there's two reasons. Number one, the cost of banks of borrowing money to lend out fixed already factors in the cash rate going to about the 5.5% the Reserve Bank have penciled in for April. So that's the first thing. It's already factored into those prices. Secondly, banks have rebuilt their margins on fixed rate lending back to their average levels for the past two years. So they're not under fresh pressure um, to rebuild margins, you know, build profits. Maybe I'll throw in a third factor as yeah. well. My monthly survey of mortgage advisors, it, it sort of is the only insight one can get on bank lending practices and how they're changing there, the banks are slowly, bit by bit, easing up their lending criteria because they're not meeting sales targets any longer. They need Very to generate some more business. Mm. That, that is interesting. Okay. So if you're in the market for a house, you've been thinking maybe it's time to sort of free up that deposit if you have one. Hey, Tony, very good to have you on the program. Kia ora. Appreciate it. Cheers, guys. That's Tony Alexander, the independent economist. Wow. Economists are always quite cheery people, aren't they? I quite like them because whenever I hear about the economy, I'm ter- I get scared. I'm tense. But they, uh, it's nice. He's, re- he's like a doctor. He's like reassuring me, but I'm still I'm still a bit scared. But that yeah. was that was helpful. Yeah, very good. Uh, now uh, a lot of feedback coming through before we get to our next guest. A lot of feedback coming through about Wayne Brown. I asked whether or not you want him to front the media, and uh, yes, indeed, ninety percent of you did say yes. For example, Wayne Brown needs to front up. He's the mayor. It's in the job description. Although someone says it does not matter. If he doesn't subject himself to interviews, I want Wayne Brown to get on with the job and ignore the biased mainstream media. Why why would we bother dealing with cadet reporters who've been given skewed background information and are focused on asking superficial catch questions that even they don't understand? Uh, So that question is, uh, would you like to see... Wayne Brown front the media. I, I feel Lots so- coming in. Two one zero one. Keep it coming. I feel sorry for journalists because they always get accused of being biased when it's a left wing person and they're biased against the left wing. When there's a right wing person, they're biased against the right wing. They really can't win. I feel like a lot of journalists out there. Eighteen past four. Guy Williams and Sally Wenley with me today. Now, a University of Otago-led study placing homeless people into housing has just been published. Those in the study were placed in housing between 2014 and 2017. We're talking permanent housing, wraparound support, and with uh, no preconditions. What did they find? Well, there was a significant improvement in the mental health of those housed. This was a research partnership between the People's Project, the Hekainga Oranga Housing and Health Research Program at Otago University, Wellington, and the University of Waikato. With us is Associate Professor Neville Pierce, the co-director of Hekainga Oranga Housing and Health Research Program. Neville, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Um, Very interesting study, this. So here you found you put homeless into housing, I think, what, um, near on 400 people. A significant improvement in the mental health of those housed 
Tell us more about this. So this is a huge improvement in mental health. This is, um, and, and from housing and support. So wrapping, putting people in permanent housing and then wrapping support around them, which the People Project do exceptionally well. So two years after the people have been housed, their mental health use, their need for residential mental health usage, which is the severe end of it, is minus 51% and a big tw- nearly 20% reduction in all mental health um, problems. But also we have a reduction in police offences and an increase in income, both from wages and salaries and from uh, benefits. So they've really, they're getting that kind of whole of well-being improvement from housing them and uh, delivering the support. It's really, and it's really working really well. What sort of housing situation were they in? Is it like a, an independent house with, say, four flatmates scenario or more mm. of an apartment, um, sort of a complex? Can you explain that? Uh, so it varies. Um, they really try to fit the housing to the person is one of their absolute models. Um, so they take somebody who's homeless and they work with them to find out what kind of housing they want and how to make them be able to afford the housing. Um, so most of the housing is private rental uh, market housing, which is really good that they've managed to step in there, find the landlord that'll be supportive, reassure the landlord, and work together to get somebody into a, a permanent a private rental housing where they can be uh, permanently and sustainably housed. Um, the very yeah, it's a variation between single flats and flatmates, as you said, and it depends. And um, some some of these are families and people with children. And is this throughout the country or certain regions? No, this is this is Hamilton. This is the People's Project in Hamilton. Housing First has extended um, throughout the country now, and they're rolling it out. But really, the this is the results from Hamilton that got a re- and the People's Project that got real early start in this, and they're doing it really well. Before um, Guy, before I get Guy, what I also found interesting about this never was, I understand that. Um, the these people who are placed in the housing, uh, they were they were far from being the hard to reach population, quote unquote, that they're being described as. These people had been asking for homes and for help for nearly fifteen years. So fifteen years beforehand, looking at their uptake of government services, you can see that this group is clearly in need. Of that nearly four hundred people, they have over two hundred thousand interactions with government that with government services that are recorded. Um, to call them hard to reach is slightly ridiculous when they've been asking for help over five hundred times. And you can clearly see it fifteen years beforehand. This group is marked out as being very high needs. Um, at 50, at fifteen years before they were. Um, homeless in Hamilton, and you can see then the marked improvement once they are housed. So it really is that kind of the chronic instability of the housing market, and when you solve that, people have the resources within themselves and when they're supported to kind of address the other problems. Lovely to hear um, some positive news coming out of Hamilton. I've always said they're on top of it. It's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a happening place, Hamilton. When are we going to see this? Can we see more of this in the rest of the country? So it is being rolled out through the, the major urban centres in the rest of the country. Um, I must say Hamilton got there first and they, they were the first to really do it at scale. Um, and I really admire that they did it without any government funding to start off with. But it is now being let out, that kind of housing first approach you talk, they talk so much about, where they're, they're taking people straight out of homelessness and into permanent housing. Neville, um, I guess what yeah. I'd like to know and what people would like to know here listening is, what is it about housing that uh, has a correlation to things like uh, going to your GP more 
or going to your outpatient clinic more or going to see get your diabetes checked what 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 is it about a house that makes us more routine in getting those other things done including this lot here yeah so it's that stress if you don't know where you're going to sleep at night that's just your biggest priority and that's that what that's what takes up all of your time and really? some of the services really, really struck, struck yeah totally <laughs> Why, why um, is it hard to understand, Wallace? If you've got nowhere to sleep, you've got to find a place to yeah. sleep. That's hard. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. I guess yeah. I'm, so, I'm talking from absolutely non-experience. I've never um, uh, had the, been in that situation. And this group, uh, was there a demographic breakdown? More men, which I presume there might have been? Actually, you're on there. Very slightly more females. And New Zealand is um, nearly unique in the world, or in the, the rich country world, in having as many homeless females as we have males, um, which really talks to our very low lemma, le, uh, levels of child benefit um, and how hard it is to support. Um, also, there is the oh, big overrepresentation of Maori, with 71% of this group being Maori. Sorry, can you just repeat that? What did you say we had a low level of child benefit? We have a low level of child benefit. Child benefit? Oh, compared to other countries in the world, or OECD? Okay. or. Yeah, and major and uh, women. Uh, uh, majority of that goes to single mothers, and being a single mother in New Zealand is ridiculously hard. See, I, I did not hear. That's the opposite of the narrative you kind of hear. Um, oh, that's really interesting to hear. I did not realise that New Zealand has a low level of child benefit compared to other countries. Yeah, not we, and we don't have much modern mother and child housing. Um, so I'm from Ireland, clearly, and there's a lot of. Uh, admittedly based off the church and uh, mother and child housing and that that has its own problems but it does provide a place that people are out so so, so finally uh neville look i mean this is a major challenge for us here isn't it in new zealand homelessness and what to do with our homeless very visible in parts of our cities including here in tamaki makoto uh could the study point to some solutions and uh, some might say what about the cost the cost of permanent housing i could imagine would be significant would it be worth so, it? So, so de- dealing with the first thing first, the, so the People's Project in Hamilton have taken the New York model of housing first. They've adapted it to Hamilton. Uh, we can certainly take the Hamilton model and adapt and run it in, in Auckland. They're much, they're much more similar, literally down the road. Um, <laughs> to the cost of it, so the, those 500,000 or those 200,000 interactions from 400 people, they all have to be paid for. Um, oh. And when they've done this in Canada and when we've looked at it, you, we pay an awful lot through our health and mental health services to keep people homeless. When they looked at it in Canada, it was very much cost neutral, whether you paid to house people, even in expensive cities like Vancouver, or whether you paid to uh, deal with the carnage afterwards. Um, and that's a carnage in mental health and police um, and just um, in wasted lives, really. So it mm. really, we can do this. We're probably paying for it anyway. We just need to invest in getting people permanently housed. Good on you, Neville. Kia Thank you for your time. Kia Appreciate it. Thank you very That's, much. Uh, Associate Professor Neville Pierce, co-director of He Kainga Oranga Housing and Health Research Programme at Wellington. It's 27 past for the panel with Sally Winley and Guy Williams today. And a message caught my attention. This actually was from um, former producer here, Caitlin Cherry. I love going to the beach. I don't love having to listen to other people's music, however. <laughs> Yesterday's Bluetooth speaker glory was this. You can't hide your lion eyes. Classic. Classic. It was probably me playing this. Oh, look, it'd send you to sleep nicely at the beach, wouldn't it? 
So, look, here you are. You've got your Guy Williams next to you on his Bluetooth. Yeah. You're reading your Jody Pico, the latest Lee Child, <laughs> waves and laughter in the background, and you've got Lying Eyes by the Eagles blaring away next to you at Oriental Bray. Uh, I, I just wanted to go around the panel on this and say, do you think it's time for a bylaw to ban Bluetooth speakers at your wonderful beach? No, we don't live in China or um, North Korea, so no. And people can, I think, just move or have a chat with the group next door to them. I totally support having Bluetooth speakers at the beach or any speaker. And as long as it's music that I like, I don't mind at all. Does it come back to that compassion and empathy and consideration of which we are short of in Aotearoa? And then you've got that uh, next to you uh, because you, you, you've you've got you you got you, you're down at the beach. You want some quiet. You've gone for a swim. Where is this happening, Wallace? What beach are you at where this is a problem? I go to all the Auckland Central City beaches where there's a lot of people. I don't think I've ever experienced this as being a being a real problem. Okay, know, well, in that case... I agree, Guy. It's I those, haven't it, either. It's, it's a big bee in Peel's bonnet on social media, but I always wonder, is this a real-world thing or am I privileged? Okay, what about if you heard this song? It was an itsy-bitsy-tee-wee-ee-ow Yeah. Terribly annoying. Oh, Wallace, how dare you? I think it is sensational. I actually wouldn't mind it. I, I like anything that brings like a little bit of culture. And if you're bringing, I don't know where that, where that song's from, American beach culture to New Zealand, I'd tolerate it for a day. Well, yeah, the wonderful, wonderful listeners disagree with you both. Uh, Therese and Hawks Bay says, I totally agree, Wallace. Absolutely selfish for people to play music at the beach. I like to hear people having fun. The but waves. Is it, is it happening, ha- though? My family, not other people's taste. Um, thrust down my throat. Um, Paul oh. says, uh, music, music on the beach, FFS, Muppets need headphones. I don't go to the beach to listen to the radio or someone else's idea of what's a good time through weaponized bass and Bluetooth speakers. Let them all go to Mission Bay. Um, <laughs> well, exactly. That's what they could do. Well, actually, they do it yeah. anyway. They have their big Oompa Loompa cars and they open the doors and you go, and, um, so they could get that close to the beach yep. and do that. Exactly. Uh, you're on the panel, RNZ National, Guy Williams and Sally Willing with me today. 